If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Okay, Corey, we're laughing because we're having a great conversation out here in the forest. So, dear listeners, we are recording out in the piney woods along the Great Lakes, and spring has sprung, and we've returned to this place for our conversations. The sun is setting. We have a merry fire doing... Mm, crackling. Ma- crackling merrily, and, uh, and we uh, may or may not be enjoying a, uh, uh, an adult beverage that... Uh, gives us joy, and we are talking about the Catholic faith because none of that excludes the Catholic faith. Oh, I the think Catholic, they all go together. The yes. Catholic faith does not exclude <laughs> any of that. And we are going to talk about something right now that I think is really relevant to sitting here in these piney woods by a merry fire with a beverage that warms our heart, and that is the nature of life. You know, and the older I get, the more, I guess, I become a cliche in my old age of an old guy who just sort of sits here in the forest and like reflects on the nature of life, which is a boring cliche. And I guess I'm becoming boring, but I start thinking about what I valued when I was younger versus what I value now as a sort of doddering old man. And I I think the older I get, the more I value the mundane in life and Mm. the ordinary in life. And I think when I was young, I was fascinated by novelty, what was new and interesting and fast moving. And, And I think I, in my life, pursued that with as much vigor as anybody. I had the opportunity to travel the globe and be involved in a lot of really interesting things in my career. But the older I get, the more I value sitting here in my forest and watching the sunrise just over there, over Corey's shoulder, and setting over here behind me, and watching the trees turn through the seasons, and enjoying the simple things of splitting wood here and making a fire and inviting my friends out to talk about the faith and enjoying going to mass and confession and the sacraments and sort of the ordinary cycles of life. Yeah. And all of those things that you mentioned are are fundamentally repetitious to one degree or another. They recur over and over again. Yeah. They're cyclic. Yeah, they are. And the more I realize that this is the valuable stuff of life, and when you pursue novelty, you're, you're chasing something and you're letting the, the fundamental stuff of life slip by unnoticed. And that brings me to the conversation that I wanted to have with Corey here because I was reminded the other day of a quote by G.K. Chesterton. And for our listeners, you know, we, we talk a lot about G.K. Chesterton because well, I mean, he was awesome, but he also had a tremendous influence on 
well, a lot of people's faith and a lot of people's conversion to the Catholic Mm -hmm. Church. But for Corey and I, he was a tremendous influence on our conversion to Catholicism. And as you, dear listeners, are considering Catholicism, I keep bringing you back to, or we keep bringing you back to Chesterton. And so anyway, there's this quote from Chesterton. And I was sitting out here in my forest the other day, and I was noticing the turning of the seasons and the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. And I was looking and thinking it's time to go to mass and it's time to go to confession. and It's time to pray my rosary in the little chapel in the pines over there. And this quote from Chesterton came to mind. And I called Corey and I said, you remember this quote? And of course he does because he has, you know, he's smarter than I am. He is an encyclopedic. <laughs> I don't uh, know if that's true. But. Well, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he is an encyclopedic. Minim- is it encyclopedic? Encyclopedic? I encyclopedic. I don't know. I'm old and daughter. Whatever. So, you know what he means. Yeah. Yeah. Like an encyclopedia. He's like, en- like an encyclopedia and he remembers everything. And I said, you remember there's this quote by Chesterton? And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the quote. And I'm like, I want to like record an, a podcast episode about that. Because like, I think it's super important and it's not a deeply doctrinal point, but like doctrine is only there as a truss work or a foundation or a buttress. I mean, the point of life isn't doctrine. The point of life is to live. And this goes to the nature of what it means to live and to live the Catholic life. And so I'm going to let Corey read this quote by Chesterton that we want to have a conversation about. Yeah. So this is uh, from Orthodoxy, one of Chesterton's better known works. And I definitely recommend that you read it if you haven't. And so he says, it might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children, when they find some game or joke that they specially enjoy. A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence, of life. Because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. Hmm. And there's a lot of poetry to that. You kind of have to let it sink in. So the day that this quote occurred to me, or I remembered this passage in Chesterton, Mm -hmm. I'd come out here to the secret compound in the morning, and I was walking around with a cup of coffee and my faithful dog, Finnegan. And I was walking through the forest and I was watching the sun come up through the pines in the east. And I remembered and I thought, do it again. And I thought, how wonderful is it to think that God says, let's do it again. And then I was watching um, it's spring here and I was watching all the little buds form on the trees and mm. whatnot. And I was like, 
there's a particular beech tree in the back of my property here. And for those of you who are not familiar with beeches, their leaves, they sort of like unfurl all at once. They kind of become this sort of like pod and then they just like, like I don't know how to explain it. It's like uncrumpling. Yeah, they like yeah. uncrumple and it's like they're there. And when they first come out, beech leaves are like almost iridescently green. Like in the first couple of days, mm. they're just like super bright. I don't know why they, they've been whatever, but they like, all of a sudden you walk past this tree every morning, you walk around this little bend in the trail back there in the forest. And, and I go kind of around this one little corner and all of a sudden there's just all of these iridescent green leaves that have exploded since yesterday. And I go, every year I see this and I go, oh man do it again. And I want you to do it again. And I thought about that. This, and that's where this passage came to me where Chesterton says, you know, we get tired of the mundane and the repetitious because we're always in pursuit of what's exciting and novel. But a child says, do it again, do it again, do it again, you know, as you read. And, and, and maybe God goes, hey, watch this mm-hmm. and I'm going to do it again. And I think that, okay, where I want to go with this is A, look, I don't think there's anybody out there listening that says, oh, yeah, I mean, I like watching the sunrise every morning or the sunset every night. Like, everybody can appreciate that. And yeah, spring comes around and it's, it's nice to see the beech leaves unfurl or the tulips bloom or whatever. But let's go a little deeper than, than those obvious things because there's a lot of stuff in life that is mundane and cyclic and repetitious. And if we're not careful, we, we sort of miss that. It, it goes past because we're looking for something that's novel and new and exciting. And that fundamental substance of our lives slips past and we never paid attention to it. And I think much of that is the greatest gift that God gives us. And what does this have to do with Catholicism? I think that one of the things that attracted me to Catholicism was that fundamental, mundane, and repetitious nature of the sacraments and the mass and the liturgical calendar. And the notion that all of that has just been going on for 2,000 years. And every time I go into mass, I go, well, I don't know if there's going to be a fog machine or, well, I know there won't be a fog machine or, <laughs> Thank God. or, or, or you know, or a, a laser light show or the band is going to do some new dance move today. What I know is that father is going to say the prayers and we're going to say the responses that now by this point, you know, in a sense we can do in our sleep because we've memorized them. I'm going to say it is right and just. And, you know, uh, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, Lord, and my soul shall be healed, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we're going to say these things and we're going to do these maneuvers and we're going to do these gestures. And so many people come and go, well, you know, Catholicism is boring because we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. But much like watching the sunrise and the pines here, watching the beech leaves unfurl every, every spring, I go, and yet here we go. Let's do it again. Turn the bread and the wine to the body and blood of Christ again. Let me go into confession and be made five minutes old again. Let me know that it's Advent again. And I don't know, but 
it just seems to me that so much of the modern or postmodern mind and so much of evangelicalism is the pursuit of novelty and excitement and freshness and newness. And so much of its criticism of Catholicism is that it is repetitious. You know, it's like when my evangelical friends say, you say repetitive prayers over and over and over and over again. And I go, yeah. And your point is what? Because maybe back to what you said, Corey, you know, this is like our God is younger than we are. And I want to say, let's, let's do that again. So anyway, this is me, the old guy waxing in the forest, you know, sitting in the forest, waxing nostalgic or thoughtful about this stuff. But Corey, you're a much more young and vigorous than I am. What say ye? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I I agree with what you're saying. And it points me to at least two principles about the Catholic Church. One is the the conviction that that God is a God of reason and order um, and that things are well-ordered. And when something is ordered and organized, you don't just change it for laughs. Um, (laughs) If if it's not broke, don't fix it is a a certain principle. And that doesn't mean that things don't, you know, change in outward appearances over the ages or develop. I mean, things don't look exactly the same as, as they did 2000 years ago in the Catholic church, but the fundamental order and structure is, is the same. It is, has carried over, has been consistent. And that's because God knows what he's doing um, and has set things up in a particular way. It has no need to change it with the changes of the world and of the zeitgeist from, from age to age. Um, because I, th- I think you are right that it is particularly a, a 20th and 21st century preoccupation with novelty. It's kind of on steroids in our age, but that's really a fundamental characteristic of the world in the sense that the scriptures mean it is the sinful structures of this world. It's, it's chase it's, it's driving us to chase after the next thrill, the next pleasure. It, it comes from, from chaos and disorder. And God is a God of, of order and harmony. And when we are in fellowship with him in his church, he brings us into that order and harmony. And then the other thing that that occurred to me while you were speaking about that, about the mass especially, but about even the little seemingly mundane things about creation is thanksgiving or or gratitude. Um, the Eucharist, of course, means thanksgiving. Um, and if we're, if we are, allowing ourselves to observe the unfolding of creation in another spring and another summer and another autumn and another winter or the riches of Christ's life unfolded to us in the liturgical year of Advent and Christmas and ordinary time and Lent and Easter and ordinary time again, and then start back over. And in every mass, um, the, the reading of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist of these seemingly mundane things of bread and wine turning into, into God's very body and blood we're moved to gratitude, we're moved to thanksgiving. We see that we don't need constant novelty and stimulation and change in order to be content and happy, that, that what God gives us in the ordinary is in fact extraordinary, that creation is extraordinary and, and infinitely more so the things of grace are extraordinary, that every mass is extraordinary. Every time you go to confession, it's an extraordinary grace that's being given to you, even though the, the outward appearance of it may seem 
repetitious and mundane, it, it moves us to gratitude. And, and that's fundamentally what's going to bring us contentment and, and happiness in this world because we're just t- chasing the next high, the next novelty, the next change, the next big thing, the spirit of the age. Then we're nurturing discontent and, and ingratitude in our hearts. Yeah, I mean, that notion of discontent and ingratitude, right? So if you were to, you know, pull a thousand people randomly off the street and do interviews with them, and you were to say, are you content? I don't know that, you know, sitting here in 2023, that most people are content with the way things are. You know, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a, I don't know, an illusion to think that people ever are truly content. But, but I think there's some, there's a fundamental discontent that characterizes our age. And it's a sense that nothing is kind of as it should be, that we feel unrooted, that we feel disconnected, that we feel atomized, that we, right? I mean, it's not a coincidence that we live in an age when, you know, there's an epidemic of not only psychological disorders, but prescription drugs to treat those. You know, how many people are, are being treated for anxiety and depression and are taking SSRIs or enormous amounts of pills and all these kinds of things? Because there's, I, I think there's this, this enormous sense of discontent and disaffection with contemporary society and the way that our lives are. And what I find is that when I return to the fundamental order, not only of scripture and the faith, but the fundamental order of Catholicism. You know, when I visit a cathedral, when I visit one of the great monasteries in these places, I feel this tremendous sense of connection and comfort. Heck, if I just go to a daily mass or something and I just sit there and take the Eucharist, I feel this tremendous sense of comfort, of reconnection, of being a part of something that is healthy and whole and wholesome and fundamentally good. You know, I, you know, I talk to my Protestant friends and, you know, I guess everybody's perception is different. But one of the things that led me to Catholicism was that no matter where I traveled around the United States or overseas, that I came to a certain place where when I entered a Catholic church and I sat down and I had this recently in Israel, I was literally in the West Bank in Israel. Um, just a couple months ago. Um, we were actually in the town of Jericho. And we went to the only Catholic parish in the town of Jericho, which is in the Palestinian mm-hmm. uh, Territory B. And I walked into that little parish church and it's like across the street is like, you know, all these kind of Palestinian organizations and mosques everywhere and everything else. And and I mean, I, I sat down in there and I felt so fundamentally at home because wherever I walk into a Catholic church and I take mass, I feel grounded and at home. And I think that comes back to this notion of repetition and the mundane. And I think that it's so important for us to ground ourselves in that, in the character of Catholicism being a faith that is 20 centuries, 24 time zones and so on. Yeah, I, I think absolutely you are grounding yourself in something that's consistent and eternal. It, we're, when we have a relationship with God, we're, we're grounded in his eternity. And, and I think 
that there's kind of an interior reality and an exterior reality here to some extent, because I mean, there's a legitimate sense in which we can be discontent with the sin and injustice in the world or the ways that evil has affected my life, my own sins, um, you know, uh, the sins of people around me, uh, disaster and disease that have affected me or my family. Like, it's not that we're just supposed to be all hunky dory with those things. There's a, there's a certain sense of sort of holy or righteous discontent with that. But then there's the, the interior or the, the contentment of the heart, which is the, that connection with God and with his order through the sacraments um, and witnessed in his action in creation, where if, if, if Christ is in my heart and I truly have a relationship with him and in prayer, then I know that fundamentally he's created everything. He, his providence is in control of everything. He has redeemed everything. He will make all things new and all things good when he comes again. And that, that deeper, more fundamental contentment, allows me to cope with all of those exterior discontentments or sufferings. It's not that uh, we have to, you know, pretend that those don't exist or don't have uh, an effect on us, but uh, what it's, it's like what, what St. Paul said that I consider all the sufferings of this world as, as nothing compared to, to Christ. Uh, That's just a paraphrase, but, but we have, we have something that's more fundamentally peaceful and ordered in the the mundane connection with God through the sacraments um, and through witnessing his providence and his creation and sustaining of the universe uh, that overcomes or supersedes that um, sort of superficial or exterior chaos and discontentment in our world. I want to go back to this notion that comes out of the Hebrew by uh, the, the, well, the Hebrew scriptures. And that is the concept of Sabbath. Mm. And I, for a lot of our listeners, like Sabbath, you mean like that's like Sunday and you go to church. You go, yeah, but let's, let's rewind a little bit and talk about the Hebrew worldview that underlies the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Hebrew scriptures. And in, I mean, we could do, we should probably do a whole episode on this because it's so important. You can't read the Bible without understanding this. You can't, or, well, you can't understand the Bible <laughs> without, without understanding this. And, and that is that within the Hebrew worldview, there's this concept of Sabbath and that the Sabbath is the center around which life revolves. And l- here's how fundamental that is. In the very first chapter of the Bible, yeah. God creates the world and these definitive acts over six days. And on the seventh, he rests in it. Right. It's written into the very fabric of creation. It's written into the very fabric of creation. Why does God need to rest? Well, in a sense, God doesn't need to rest. God rests. God doesn't need to rest. I mean, in, in his eternity, you could say God, God is resting, was resting, will rest. Right. But yeah. God doesn't need to rest. Mm-hmm. Thomas Aquinas said God doesn't need to rest. God rests. That's built into the fabric. It's what some God chooses to do. 
And he does it because, and then from the very beginning, that is built into the fabric of creation. So, so the Hebrew notion of time is cyclic. This is where I'm going. Mm. And it come and bring it back to the Chesterton quote and the seasons and the sunrise and all that sort of thing is that in the Hebrew understanding of the universe, there is this cycle and it's a, week, a weekly cycle, right? This cycle of Sabbath that you do things and you come circle back around to Sabbath. And it's not even like a linear thing of, okay, there's six days and then a Sabbath and there's six days and another Sabbath. It is that Sabbath is the center. Sabbath is the rest in God. Mm-hmm. It is where the creation is in joy and rest. And when you go forward to the end of the Bible, okay, uh, to the last chapter of Revelation, so Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, what you have is the eternal Sabbath where the entire new creation rests in God, right? Right. And yeah. that's an eternal, right? Okay, so, so part of the concept of time as we live between the creation and the recreation is that there is, if you think of it as an orbit, and there is this orbit around rest in God. Now, I want you to think of something that is orbiting, right? Mm -hmm. And then I want you to put that into a three-dimensional, right? Because it's sort of a two-dimensional understanding, right? There's this thing, this thing, and it's like the thing spiraling around it. Mm -hmm. But I'll put it into three dimensions, and it's moving through time. So maybe think of it as a corkscrew. And as sort of rest in God moves through time, our activities our life revolves around that center. It revolves around that rest in God. And that rest in God is the Sabbath. It is the mass. It is the Eucharist. It is that moment. And if so now projecting that in Catholicism, what it is is the Eucharist, which is the ultimate expression of our rest in God, mm-hmm. right? Within right. this time, that life revolves around it. Um, all time, all history, all thing. Just as I sit out here in the pines and I watch the sunrise over your shoulder there, and then I watch it set over my shoulder here, and I watch my beech tree turn, and I watch all of this stuff, really right life revolves for the Catholic around the sacraments and particularly around the Eucharist. Yeah, you're you're talking about the the cycle of of life in the Jewish perspective around that original week of creation centering around the Sabbath. And then when Christ comes and, and carries out his mission, he, he fulfills that and, and he gives us based on his fulfillment of that in Holy week and in the week of Easter, how we live that in a, in a sense in the new creation, because in the Friday of of Holy Week, Good Friday, Jesus dies and through his death, he recreates mankind. And then Saturday is his day of rest. And then Sunday, the first day of the week is that first day of the new creation. He rises from the dead and that's the beginning of God's new creation, his setting right, his, his, his rebirth of the whole world. And so that's why in, in Christianity, our, our paramount day for the celebration of the Eucharist and of our experience of Sabbath is that first day of the week, because instead of fundamentally looking back to the original creation, we're, we're fundamentally looking forward to the new creation, to the, to the, to the peace and justice and redemption that Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection. And 
will bring to fulfillment in the future when he returns. And so when we have our weekly cycle of our days of work and then Friday, which is a day of penance in recognition of the cross. And then Sunday, which is the day of, of joy and worship and rest and of new creation. We are both looking back on what Christ has done and then anticipating and looking forward to that, to that fuller and greater rest of God, greater than what's described in, in Genesis, as you said, what's described in, in revelation, the ultimate peace and glory of, of heaven and earth reborn through Christ. So if you think of that weekly cycle, mm-hmm. right. But then now they extend that out into the liturgical year. Right. 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 So th- these are kind of like this, this ever widening. It's kind of like Russian nesting dolls. Yeah. Russian, yeah rushing <laughs> nesting dolls, a sort of ever widening sort of circle where there's a sort of daily cycle of life. The sun rises, the sun sets. I wake up and I have the Angelus in the morning and the right. Angelus at noon. Or the, the liturgy Angelus. of the hours, which right. follows the, the, litur- the sun rising and right. the moon and the liturgy, sunset. And then that's built into this larger cycle of the week, which is built in this larger cycle of the liturgical calendar, which brings me around every year. And life is lived in this cyclic rhythm. Mm-hmm. And you know, so much of modern life feels disaffected, disconnected, and discontent because we've disconnected ourselves. Well, it's chaos. It's not rooted in, in any it's in any rooted. fundamental peace or order. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, that's exactly it. And it's rooting our lives in some kind of fundamental peace and order. And this is, I think, the thing with evangelicalism. And, and you know, we, Ed and I talk a lot about that. You know, the, the sense of, um, on the podcast, uh, the, the sense of, do, am I right with God? Do I feel the right things versus I'm living my life in a, in an order and a peace. And this is like this criticism. Well, Catholicism is just tells you you have to do this and this and this. And you go, yeah, yeah. And in some sense, it gives me this peace and this rhythm and this order and this structure to live my life. And coming back to the beginning where we started with this Chesterton quote, this notion of, well, why is that bad? I mean, because part of it is the the child. He says, that's wonderful. Do it again. And I never tire of father lifting the host and, and uh, consecrating the host, calling down the Holy Spirit. I never tire of hearing him say, this is my body and hearing uh, the consecration bells ring three times. I never tire of singing the Gloria. I never tire of that. I I feel like my go do it again, just like I like loving the sunrise. And I and I guess as I get older, I realize how much of our modern lives are endlessly uh, chasing novelty and feeling and chaos and aren't rooted in anything. So I guess, you know, I just wanted to have this conversation because my appeal to you, dear listeners, if you're feeling disconnected and you're, you're considering Catholicism, you know, embrace the structure, embrace the mundanity, embrace the simplicity of waking up every day, um, you know, doing your morning prayer, uh, living your life. If you have the opportunity to go to daily mass, um, to going to confession regularly, embrace the Eucharist, embrace the liturgical year, embrace these things and understand that this isn't a crushing of your spirit, but it's an elevation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well, amen. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.